Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. <laughs> His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. Well, I will tell you what, usually this time of year, we're talking NBA hoops as the NBA regular season traditionally gets underway. This year, though, that all goes out the windows. We're talking moratorium period being lifted. Trades are being consummated. We have an NBA draft to talk about and free agency will kickstart on Friday. But before we get to all that, I have to welcome in my main man. His name is Otto Strong. Otto, how's it going? Everything is good, man. I am, I am struggling with this calendar thing. I'll just be honest with you. I'm, so used, I'm used to, you know, I'm, I was, I'm a guy who had his meatloaf and his mashed potatoes and separate, separate piles was one of those kids. So not having the draft, you know, in, in May and or in June, I should say, and not having, you know, it's like there's, like there's a cadence to everything. And my world is just coming apart at the seams. I was going to say the NBA season is already a marathon and the way yeah. that it is distributed out makes a lot of sense as far as making sure that the NBA occupies as much as, you know, the traditional 12 month calendar as possible. This, you know, I'm already running on fumes today because I was at the airport at about 4.30 this morning. Mm. And I, I, I thought to myself, I said, you know, we're going to record this show tonight. And by the end of this week, not only with keeping up with trades, with the draft, with free agency. I don't know how many cups of coffee I'm going to consume to get through this five-day week, but it's going to be a really interesting case study for just how much tolerance I can handle. Well, hearing that, I'm going to, going to up the shares of Starbucks, uh, I guess. That's what I have to do. <laughs> Knowing how much so coffee you drink. <laughs> Quite a bit. So before we get too far into this, what has you most excited about this week? Oh my God. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I may be, I may be jumping ahead here, but, but seeing how the, how the sun's kind of picked up or at least look like they're going to pick up first fall, that to me, that to me looks really intriguing. And I'm, I can't wait to get into uh, talking about that. That that's probably the, the highlight on my list. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see just how he kind of meshes with Devin Booker. We're going to talk about that later in the show. But with that being said, you know, one of the things that always intrigues me is the NBA draft because I think it centers around, Every team is optimistic, right? Especially those teams that reside within the lottery. And if there's one thing that we've learned over the last few years or really over the last decade is that you can find a gym in the middle of the lottery. And so that is what so many teams will seek out on Wednesday night, you know, hoping that they find their Giannis Adetokounmpo at 13 or they find their lottery ticket in the middle of the first round. Will it happen? We don't know. Could it happen? It's very possible, but we do have someone who is a pseudo expert on this, who's talked about the NBA draft, who has really kind of 
dove in deep into some of these prospects, and he's going to know a lot more about them than you and I do. And that is Daniel Kaufman of Pure Hoops Media. Dan, thanks so much for taking the time and joining us. How's it going, man? It's good. Thank you for having me. I'm psyched to talk shop with you guys. The um, the draft is probably my favorite day of the whole NBA calendar, so I'm uh, I'm psyched to get that and free agency starting in the same week. That's that might be too much for me. I'll have to check in. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I can't wait. I think the off season is arguably even more fun than the regular season. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'm psyched. So yeah, thanks for having me. So let's talk about the NBA draft. You know, a lot of people, you know, based off the things that I've read, based off the things that I've watched, you look at this draft as a whole, and people say. It's a little top heavy at one, two, and three. Most NBA drafts are, but a lot of people also say that there's not a bona fide NBA star. When you look at maybe the top five or the top three prospects in this draft, what do you see? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say top heavy. I almost am inclined to say the opposite. Um, I think this draft is all about depth. Um, I mean, there's certainly that. There's no Luca. There's no. There's no Zion here. Um, but I mean, it's like, when's the last time that you've seen, you know, three or four different guys ranked at number one in a draft? Because I've seen, you know, I've seen Anthony Edwards, Wiseman, Lamelo, and Killian Hayes all, all listed at the top of different big boards. So, um, yeah, there's really great depth here. And I mean, um, all, all the three main guys, you know, Edwards, Lamelo, and Wiseman at the top certainly have their, their very real flaws. And so, um, you know, it's interesting. This, I, I do think you would have to assume those three guys will at least be the top four. Um, but yeah, I really, I really think anything can happen, especially if Golden State trades out of that two spot or if Minnesota trades out of the one. It sounds like Minnesota is like still aggressively looking for, for buyers, but I don't know if they're going to find one. But um, yeah, I mean, I kind of see this as a depth draft. I think that, um, I don't even know if I would say it's a weak one, because I mean, certainly there, as I said, there's no star here, or at least no like surefire star. But I think picks from like five to 15, there's a lot of really good stuff to be found. So um, yeah, I'm a little higher on this draft, I think, than, uh, than a lot of people are. Dan, so what, what happens a lot is, and you know this, um, you know, through covering and, and, and watching the sport, uh, March Madness happens. Mm. People get more, and more, they get more connected to players. Player stock rises the deeper they play, you know, typically, you know, not in every case. Yeah. How do you feel the, the, the no March Madness will, will ultimately wind up affecting, um, not, not players' careers, but kind of the, the next couple of weeks or, or, or draft night? Sure. I mean, it's interesting you say that because, like, the top three guys that we were lit, you know, talking about, none of them would have played in March Madness anyways, Edwards, Wiseman, and Lamelo, because, you know, Wiseman and Lamelo weren't even playing in college, and Edwards, Georgia probably wouldn't have made it. So, um, I don't think they would have. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. I think it helped those guys in a sense, because you always have the risers in March Madness. Um, and so, I mean, like, the guy, the, the one guy in particular that um, I really wanted to see was Obi Toppin, um, who I think is arguably the best offensive player in this draft. I think he's terrific. Um, and so, um, yeah, and he's playing for Dayton, so he really didn't have many chances. Like, against Kansas at the Maui was really his best chance to, to show himself on a national stage. But that was so early in the season, too. I mean, Dayton was, I think, 29-2 when the season was suspended. They were probably going to be a one seed. So um, someone like that, you can really, you know, have them rise up. I mean, like last year, you think about Jarrett Culver, a guy who most people didn't even really know who he was until March Madness, and then he really went on that run and, um, you know, and turned into a, a, a top-six pick. So, um yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it adds to the, this, this draft was already really bizarre and, and there's a lot of, a lot of speculation happening and that's just going to add to it. But, you know, that's the world we live in. So we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, Dan, one of the interesting things you mentioned is that you said this was a depth draft. And I think this is going to be a really interesting case study for some of these players that did elect to, to kind of take that year away from high school and go overseas. You know, everyone knows about what LaMelo Ball did, but there's another player that's going to be around that 14 to 16 range, and he might be maybe in the 14 to 18 range, and that's R.J. Hampton. R.J. Hampton was another highly recruited guy out of high school, ended up 
choosing between a couple of schools, but ultimately went the New Zealand route. When you look at a guy like RJ Hampton, how much stock are teams putting in the fact that they didn't even get to see him at a college level? And how much can they, how much maybe is it difficult for them to evaluate him based on the level of competition that he played against this past year? Sure. I mean, you know, it's definitely tough. I mean, I think the NBL from everything I've heard is not seen as like the strongest league. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's tricky. I mean, I think I, I'm, I'm high on RJ Hampton. I don't think he had the greatest showing over there. Um, he wasn't playing on a very good team. He wasn't, he wasn't getting a lot of minutes, but um, you know, I think that's when you really got to just look at the intangibles and look at the skills, the skills on screen you see, um, you know, because it's hard. It's hard. I mean, even if you think at the college level, I mean, guys are playing different levels of competition, different conferences, play different styles of, of basketball. And so, um, you know, I think really you got to just sort of lean on your, the intangibles you see, like the skills you see on screen rather than the, uh, the matchups so much. So, um, yeah, you know, it's something that even, you know, if you look at a guy like Edwards at, at the one spot, I mean, like he's playing in such a bizarre situation where, um, where, you know, I mean, like, it's, it reminded me a lot of Ben Simmons at, at LSU where he's not surrounded by great talent and he's, it's, it's almost just like an audition for him. And so, um, you know, got even guys like at the, at the one spot, there's, there's all these questions you got to answer about him. So I think, um, you know, that, that can apply to all teams, even the teams at the top. Hey Dan, so your, your top three, who's, who's in your top three and do you think the Warriors are going to be keeping that second pick? Yeah. I mean, like you're saying my own personal top three. Yep. Yeah. So, um, my top three would have to be um, Killian Hayes at number one, I think is the best player in this draft. Um, I think the way he controls pace and the way he uses his body, uses space, gets this spot. It's just so rare for a kid who's 18, especially at, at point guard. Um, and so he would be, um, he would be my number one guy. I, I think he's, he's just terrific. And then um, at two, I would probably have Abdiya, um, who I think, I don't know. I mean, I don't have any intel on what Golden State's going to do. I, if they do keep the pick, I think Abdiya would be the pick for them. Um, just because I think he combines the high ceiling and high floor, high floor aspects really well, where he's going to be able to step in right away and, and contribute for Golden State. Um, and he passes exceptionally well. His, his game really pops in transition. He has such a modern game in the way that he can really – you can put him at any, like, you know, two through four. Um, and he just really sees the floor. He's going to be a secondary playmaker. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I, that's, I like him there. And then at three, I would probably have Obi Toppin or no, I would, I would probably have Edwards at three. Um, Edwards, Toppin and, and Hayes would be my top three, I think. And then um, Evdia right there as well. So those four guys would make up the top four for me. Um, and so you, um, you mentioned Golden State. I mean, like every, you know, so many people are talking about Wiseman and I think like, I think Wiseman has a lot of skills, a lot of potential. The, um, the thing for me, it's like, the question the Warriors have to answer is, are they building the best team they can build for themselves? Or are they building the team that can beat the Lakers? Because that's, you know, who's, who's sitting right there that they're going to have to go through. The thing for me that I think is sort of a flawed concept of this is if the, the late, you know, the Warriors look at the roster and it's not reasonable to expect Draymond to be the guy who's matching up against Anthony Davis or Nikola Jokic. He's just not that athlete anymore. So the, the Warriors, yeah, the Warriors look at the roster and they say, okay, we don't have a, a guy who can match up against Anthony Davis. Is Wiseman, who, like, is essentially a high schooler, is he that guy? Because I don't think he is. And so, like, you know, we haven't seen Wiseman play anyone pretty much ever who can match up with him physically. He really is, like, a, he has not played any meaningful minutes beyond high school. And so I think it's not – no disrespect to him. I think he has a lot of potential. I think he could be really good. I don't – for Golden State, I think if you're looking for someone to step in immediately and be that guy to bridge the gap between you and the contenders, I don't think that's Wiseman. I just think there's too much for him to learn. Um and even as a rim protector, I have my doubts. He's really jumpy. He's, his positioning isn't great. And so, like, 
I just think understandably so for a kid who's only played three games beyond high school, two of them against mid-major competition, he's not ready to step in and be an important contributor for a, a team with finals aspirations. And it's rare a kid in his position would be. And so um, Avdia for me would be the, um, would be the pick at, at two for Golden State, I think. Daniel, tell me yeah. about LaMelo Ball. This is a kid that we've heard a lot about, you know, really since Lonzo was coming out of UCLA. They were still talking about him even then. He plays overseas, but the, is the hype for real when it comes to LaMelo? LaMelo is kind of one of those players who, when I'm watching him, I'm grateful that I'm an observer and my professional aspirations are not hinging on whether I'm right about him or not. Um, <laughs> he, he just scares the hell out of me. I mean, I don't, he's probably the most – it's him or Edwards. He's the most talented player in the draft. Um, I think his, the passing is, is every bit as good as everyone says it is. He is just an absolute wizard with the ball in his hands. He see, I mean, he, he passes like Luca does. He has every pass. He sees everyone. The thing for me that really I'm, I worry about with Lamelo is, like, if you think about the best passers in the NBA, like the Lucas, the Ben Simmons, the LeBron types, those are guys who are talented enough off the dribble or athletic enough or however they, they generate their offense. They are guys who you can put the ball in their hands and say – control the entire pace of the game and so like I Lamelo has been able to do that but for Melo's Lamelo's game really to stick I think he has to be the guy who's controlling the whole game and I don't think it's really realistic to expect that of him at the NBA level I don't think he's the athlete or the shooter you need to be um to do that and so like my concern with him is like I don't know what it looks like when Lamelo is the third best player on a team we've never seen that before he's never not been the best player on a team he's also never been on a team that isn't like centered around him and so I'm not really going to like speculate on his personality and his willingness to or ability to do that or not. But just looking at the basketball player, I think for Lamelo's game to translate, he really has to have like a Harden, Luca-esque, just like firm grasp on everything happening on the court. I'm not really sure he can do that in the NBA level. And so like, I don't know. I mean, I think the pa- his passing is probably the best skill in the draft. It is really spectacular. Um, so I think, like, no matter what, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. Part of me hopes he ends up in Golden State and just sees what happens because that would just be a blast. But um, I don't know. I have my doubts, but at the same time, I, I could be dead wrong. I think the range on Lamelo is just enormous. Like, he could, be, he could be a perennial all-star, or I also think he could not even stick in a starting lineup if, if things don't go well. So, yeah. And then you, you, had a, you had a good observation on, on Wiseman. Um, you know, could he match up again? against an AD and I'm like, uh, perhaps not. <laughs> but uh, I was curious to get your thought on this. So, we, you know, normally the draft is in like, you know, late June and then the season doesn't, doesn't turn to four months later. Now it's basically four weeks. And so mm-hmm. how, how would you imagine or how could you see uh, guys who haven't played in a really long time, relatively speaking, yeah. now having this condensed crunch? Like, what do you think the, the impact of, of rookies will be this season? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think it'll probably depend on, you know, like on the team from a, like a team by team basis, how they want to integrate their guys. And it obviously depends on the players too. I mean, some are more advanced than others. That's again, like just to, to harp back on Abdi, like why I, I really like him is because I think he will be able to step in. He's played at a high level internationally and I think he'll be able to step in right away and, and contribute. But um, sort of besides the point, I mean, you know, if you look at a guy like Wiseman, I mean, the sort of like line I've been reading about him is like, you know, you expect him to be sort of like a rim runner and a rim protector first. And then hopefully the offense will come later on in his rookie season in his career. So, I mean, like, you know, I'm, I'm not in talent development. I don't work for a basketball team. So, I mean, like, you'd hope that, you know, guys can be integrated slowly, but surely and, and sort of catch up from the missed time that, or the time they've missed. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on the player and, and the team and how they want to do things. So, I mean, for, you know, if you look at a team like, um, like the Pistons, for example, I mean, 
there's, you know, they're not really in any position to compete. They're in the East where, you know, like they're playing inferior talent a lot of the time. And so you can sort of just let guys go and see what you have. Whereas like Golden State certainly does not have that luxury. Minnesota with the top, the, the clock ticking on talent does not have that luxury. Atlanta does not have that luxury. So some teams need contributions right away. And so I have to imagine that'll, that'll factor heavily into the decisions that these teams are making. You know, Dan, Daniel, one of the things I keep thinking about is NBA draft night is so exciting for so many different reasons, most notably because of the trades that do occur, you know, or the trades that aren't fully consummated on draft night, yeah. right? <laughs> like you get the hat, but you don't necessarily know which team they're going to. Yeah. There's been a lot of talk this year about teams that might be eyeing one of those top three spots. You know, you mentioned it earlier. Does Minnesota keep pick number one? Will Golden State keep pick number two? One team, you know, that's going to stay in that top three is going to be Charlotte. What does Charlotte need to do in this draft? How do they look at their roster? And then kind of a secondary question, what other teams might jump up from the mid-lottery and try and get back into the top five? Sure. Um, well, I mean, just to speak on Charlotte first, I think with them it's, you know, um, it's certainly got to be best player available. So, I mean, if they feel that's Wiseman, if he drops to them, I think it should be him. If it's Lamelo, it should be him. I think for them, like, my thought on Charlotte is – so like one of my hesitations on Wiseman is I just don't think Wiseman is the type of player you can build a true championship team around in today's NBA. Cause he doesn't pass very well. The spacing, at least not yet, isn't there. Um, I don't really think that's a problem that Charlotte needs to worry about. I mean, like a team like Charlotte is so far off and like historically has been far off for a long time that like, I don't think you're, you're building your team with, you know, specific championship aspirations in mind. You're just trying to build a competitive basketball team right now if you're Charlotte. And so like, you know, guys like Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier, I mean, they're not like bad. They're, bad. they're not bad players. They can they can play and they can help you win. But you're not selecting at the third overall pick with those guys in mind. So, I mean, if they think it's Lamelo, if he's their guy at three and he's there, they should pick him. It doesn't really matter if Devontae Graham is there or Terry Rozier is there because, you know, they might not be there in two years. So, like, for me, I think it's really just best player available at three with Charlotte. Um, and, you know, who they think that is, I'm, I don't have the intel on that. But um, And then you asked about teams trading up from the mid-lottery. I mean, I'm not really sure. I mean – uh, a trade that I had seen mocked a lot was um, was Ubre in the tenth pick for the second pick for in the mid level exception of the Golden State, which obviously isn't happening now because Ubre is apparently going to OKC. Um, so I really don't know. I mean, with drafts like this, it reminds me of 2013 where everyone was speculating on who like the Cavs wanted to trade down, you know, and like the the X Y Z wants Oladipo and the Matt, the the Cavs were going to trade down, but um, you know, in a in a draft that isn't you know, very strong at the top, like someone's got to want that pick. And so I've seen a, plenty of rumors about teams wanting to trade down. I have yet to see the rumor about the team that really wants to trade up. So, I mean, you obviously need both sides to complete that deal. All right. We've talked about the top of the draft. Let's talk about maybe some guys who might shoot up draft boards or, you know, guys that teams might be looking at in that mid to late first round and saying, this is a guy that I really like. If he's there, that's my guy. Let's take a look at some of the guys who have really shot up draft boards. Who are you looking at so far, Daniel? I mean, the, the guy that I see the most shooting up the boards is Patrick Williams, who um, from Florida State, one of those guys who was sort of buried in a super talented roster this past season. But um, yeah, I'm not sure I, I see it personally. I mean, like he's a great athlete. He has this really sort of polished mid-range game for a guy who doesn't seem like he's very raw but the the mid-range is there I mean I see a lot of people comparing him athletically to Jalen Brown like I don't think he's the player Jalen Brown is but the athletic profile is, is similar in that sense he's really strong um he's like 6-8 kind of like a 3-4 hybrid um and so I mean I've seen him mocked as high as 6 to Atlanta which definitely seems like a reach to me but um yeah he's definitely got to watch out for us I mean he could 
go as, anywhere as high as like six or seven. Um, when I mean earlier in this cycle, like you know, four or five months ago, I was seeing him like mid late first. So um, he's got us shooting up a lot of boards. Um, so yeah, look out! I would look out for Patrick Williams. What about um, guess, sorry? Oh, what about Kira Lewis? I've been hearing people saying some good things. Like, what, what what's the story now? Yeah, Kira Lewis. I mean, from you know, point guard from Alabama. Um, he's a sophomore, but he's only nineteen, so he's got like that freshman age that everyone you know is is, is looking for. Um, I like Kira Lewis a lot. I mean, he's he's only one sixty five, which is like the knock on him, but um, he looks bigger than that on tape to me. And he doesn't also have like he doesn't have that jaw frame that doesn't look like he can hold any muscle. Like I think he could fill out really nicely. And um, he's really fast. He's really aggressive. He does. I mean, he really looks to me like a bigger Colin Sexton and not just because they both played for Alabama and have similar hair, but um, because he really just, his game reminds me he's really fast in the open court, real nose for the basket. Um, and he could shoot too. He was like almost 50, 40, 90, I think I could be wrong on that, but um, his, the splits were really good too. So um, he's a guy to, to definitely look out for rising up boards. I could see him going as high as maybe like seven or eight Knicks, Pistons, those teams that need point guards. Um, and then really the, the wild card for me that I've seen rising up a lot of boards is, I believe it's Alexej Pukusevsky, I think is how you pronounce it. I haven't heard it said out loud, but um, he is an 18-year-old kid from Serbia, I believe, who um, is a seven-footer who I think weighs about as much as I do. He is so thin. There is so much work to be done physically on him. He is, I mean, like the two years away from two years away thing could certainly be applied to him as well as, a, as it was to Kaboko like six years ago. Um, but he has this really intriguing skill set. He can shoot and he can really pass and like kind of handle too. And so like, he really doesn't have a position. I mean, he's sort of, if you have to compare him to someone, he looks like a very, very raw version of like what Porzingis looked like as a rookie basically. But he can pass really well too. He makes these crazy like left-handed cross-court passes and he's not a lefty. And so um, he's really fascinating. And for me, I mean, I think, especially now that they have that second first round pick, presumably if this true deal goes through, I think it's, he's just begging for OKC because, I mean, OKC is working on, like, the long play of all long plays. They're not getting their picks for, like, four more years. And so to just take him, lock him in the weight room for, like, four years and, like, see what emerges, I think it makes so much sense. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think he could be really good. I wouldn't take him anywhere higher than, like, mid-20s because I think there's no shot he plays in the NBA in the next two seasons. But um, he's really interesting. So um, watch some tape. You'll, you'll like what you see. Awesome. I'm going to have to check that out. Okay. You talked about the risers, you know, inevitably there's going to be that player that's sitting there who's saying, well, I was mocked in the top 10. People thought maybe my floor was top 15. Now I'm sitting here in 2025 range. Who's really kind of falling down draft boards. Yeah. Um, I don't, we mentioned him earlier, RJ Hampton. I, I haven't seen him, him mocked in the lottery very often recently. Um, I like him a lot. I mean, he's, he's a really great athlete. Like, truly elite athlete um and he knows how to use it too I mean there are a lot of guys who are just like the pogo stick guys who you know can really leap like don't really use it in the half court but um I don't feel that way about Hampton um he's really quick goes side to side really fast but his season in New Zealand wasn't great he wasn't playing that much the team was really bad uh, his splits were not good the jumper there's a lot of work to be done so um yeah I think Hampton is a guy who um who could slide a little bit I also feel that way about Cole Anthony who um another kind of similar to RJ Hampton in the sense that he was really highly recruited coming out of high school, the season for, you know, not, not exclusively his fault, but the season at UNC did not go well. Um, and yeah, I just, there's so many, not only there's so many point guards in this draft, but there are also just so many point guards. Like how many teams need a starting point guard right now? There's like three of them, I feel like. And so there's more guards like point guards in this draft than point guards like starting slots in the league. And so like, for me, I don't see Cole Anthony as a starting point guard anyways. I mean, I see him as more of like a Lou Williams, kind of like a spark plug. And so like, I could see Philly taking him. I think they're the 19th pick. Um, I could see him in um, 
in Boston um, for, at 14, maybe as the highest I, w- I would see him going. Just people who need bench production, because I do think he could come in and score pretty pretty immediately. But um, yeah, I've seen him. I've seen him slipping a little bit too. Earlier, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the Knicks, and and I'm I'm one of these guys who uh, I have a love hate relationship with them in that I hate that I used to love them. <laughs> so so uh, I was wondering where, where, who you think the Knicks might wind up with. Sure. I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff tying them to Obi Toppin um, at eight, who I think would, I mean, I'm really high on him. So I think, um, I think eight would be great, a great spot for him to go like great value for him. Um, I really don't, I mean, other than Barrett who, you know, can play a lot of positions. He's not really a guy you have to like build around per se. I don't see them as having any, like, you know, if there's like, a big man, if they like Okongu falls them at eight and they like him, I don't think the presence of Mitch Robinson should deter them. Like, I really think they could go anywhere with this pick. And so I think Toppin would be great for them, especially because he's a guy, you know, people are, are scared off by this. He's 22, which, you know, it's like 60 in NBA draft terms in 2020. <laughs> but, um, he, um, he's a guy who's going to step in and contribute. Like he's not a, he's not a project. He's not a guy who there's a lot of questions about. It's pretty clear what you're getting with him. And so um, I think he's um, he's a guy that Knicks could end up with. I also really like Kyra Lewis for them um, at eight. I think I just see him as a starting point guard in the league. And so I mean, like you know, the Knicks have obviously a lot of a lot of needs. Um, that's kind of sort of the usual the usual situation out there. But um, yeah, I think Kyra Lewis could step in. I would look at Halliburton too for them at eight. Um, yeah, I mean, I would look for them to go for a guard. But I think if Toppin is there, that's good value as well. Um, so there's really, I mean. There's essentially, I mean, it should be best player available. There's really no no wrong answer if you're the Knicks. You just need competent guys, please. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. You're just crushing Otto right there, just saying you need a competent it's, guy. He, he right keeps there. wanting some glimmer of hope, and nobody's giving it to him. It's, it's, yeah. it's all, I've, I've, I've moved on. I've moved on. I've moved on. It's, it's all so good, though. All right, all right, Daniel, I have to ask you, he got his next question, and I have to get my Kansas basketball question. Oh, there's, two, there's two guys projected in the second round. It's going to end up probably being middle second round. Yudoka Azubuki, who was a big part of that Kansas team, who was the number one team heading into what would have been the NCAA tournament this year. They were led by their point guard and Devon Dotson. Two completely different, you mentioned point guards. Devon's never been much of a shooter, but how good of a value is a young player who is a sophomore coming out of college, Devon Dotson in the second round? Yeah. I mean, I think Dotson is pretty good. Um, I like him in the open court. He's fast. He's aggressive. Um, he's, he's a good finisher inside. So like he can do some things. I don't know. It's really, there's, there are so many that there's like between Cassius Winston, Grant Riller, um, Dotson, Malachi Flynn. Like there are so many of those, like Peyton Pritchard, like really successful college point guards. And so like, differentiating between those is is tricky um I think out of that group Winston would definitely be my favorite but um I mean you know the sort of the line I feel like in the second round is like can this guy make our team even like marginally better if you know if you get a guy in the second round who is on your roster and plays minutes that's a win and so like I think Dotson could do that so um as a bouquet I mean like I don't he could be like a JaVale McGee I think which like JaVale McGee kind of helped the Lakers, sort of. So like, JaVale McGee's helped a lot of teams over the years. Yeah, I mean, like, he's just been that floater, right? Like, like, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he plays hard. There has been some, you know, like the conditioning has sort of come and gone. But like, he did look a lot better this season, as we talked about before um, before the pod. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's aggressive. He could certainly, if nothing else, I mean, he can help a team win regular season games, which, like, I think we forget. I mean, that's important, too. It's not just about who's in your crunch time rotation in the semifinals. So, like, I think both those guys, I mean, you know, there are worse places to go in the second round. I think they could, they could help teams. So, yeah. Rock chalk. So, uh, so, so 
let's talk about a little bit about a team that is not uh, figured doesn't have the is not scheduled to have the pick, but is one of those teams we keep talking about late late in the season, the Houston Rockets. So they've got an interesting situation. Is where do you, how do you think? I said, do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yes. <laughs> so how, how do you? Say, <laughs> I'm going to make you. <laughs> How do, how do you see that 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 playing it playing itself out? I mean, this is not a team that that um, clearly has not gotten to the promised land with uh, with the with the roster that they have. Yeah, so. I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna you know like pose as if I have any any breaking intel on the on the situation there. Um, I don't, I don't, I have seen you know I've had several people text me today asking about how I feel about Harden in Brooklyn. That just makes my brain hurt. Like, honestly, I've, I've said to everyone, I don't even want to exert the energy necessary to even think about that until it becomes, like, until you can't avoid it. Um, I did see Woj tweet that the two teams have not talked. So, I mean, like, I, you know, and if that deal does happen, that's going to be a long, arduous Anthony Davis-esque process. That won't happen by the end of the week or anything like that. So, um, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know if there's a team in the league I'd less want to be than Houston right now, honestly, because, like, it's very clear they're – it's just not a championship team and that team isn't getting better. So like, and you have Westbrook, you overpaid for him. And now, you know, he's the, the contract isn't going away. I don't, um, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I mean, this is another one of those instances where I'm glad I'm not a GM. It's just like, that's a tough problem. And I'm glad it's not mine. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's all. I, that's all I really have to say. <laughs> yeah. I could just think about this for a second. So, so Harden to Brooklyn, I mean, Oh, I, I agree with. I mean, yeah, my head is hurting too. <laughs> right, I'm just just trying to trying to mull that over. Like, what the heck that would look like? I don't know. I mean, I think if you want to, you know, get into it briefly. I mean, like, KD can play with anybody. We've seen that in Golden State. He can, you know, he's just his, he has such a complementary skill set anywhere he goes. Um, I I mean, in terms of, you know, Harden and Kyrie, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that works. Um, I think both those guys, especially Harden. I mean, partly by design in Houston, do not operate well off ball. So that's and those guys operate very heavily on with the ball in their hands. So I really, I don't know what you would do there. I mean, Harden has never really been asked to play off ball like ever. He's never been asked to score in the mid range either, which I think is something he could actually do pretty well if he was asked to do it, but he wasn't ever asked, like he was specifically told not to in Houston. I, I take it. So um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, if it happens, I will, I will sit down and, and form more of a um, articulate viewpoint on it i don't think i can handle it right now at least not on a month give me a few more days well and and here's the thing if either of you can figure out how to make those cap numbers work then it it could potentially happen but that seems to be a pretty big barrier in the way you got 38 million with harden and i i just don't know how you balance out those salaries well they'd have to sign the three of us probably i've seen some reports (laughs) of westbrook um, of some some new york interest in westbrook and some pressure from Thibodeau to make win now moves so i wouldn't be surprised if we see Westbrook in a Knicks jersey in, in, a, in a few short months. So, You just gave out on a heart attack. Who knows? Wow. It can always get worse. That was dope. From the NBA draft to a little bit more of kind of NBA offseason fodder, the moratorium period was lifted on Monday. Free agency will start on Friday. And, guys, this is, I think, the part of the conversation where everybody really gets excited about teams are going to try and make themselves better. We've already seen some trades maybe not consummated, but they're agreed upon in principle. One of which CP three is on his way to Phoenix. What does that do for the Suns? We'll start with you, Dan. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I love this deal for Phoenix. Um, when I saw that, you know, he had been rumored to be, to be headed there. I didn't, I didn't love it just cause I think 
I think a team acquiring Chris Paul has title aspirations in the next two years, and I didn't think Phoenix was quite there. But they really didn't give up anything essential to their like current infrastructure there. So, I mean, like, Oubre is a good player, but he was kind of redundant with what Booker already does and how many wings they had on the roster. They didn't give up the 10th pick, which for me was the big thing. I assumed that would be in the deal when I saw that Oubre was going to Phoenix. And there are so many wings, like, just to go back real quickly to the draft – Devin Vassell out of Florida State, Aaron Neesmith out of Wake Forest, uh, Isaac Okora out of Auburn. There are so many wings that are right, like perfect values right there that they could just take to fill Oubre's minutes potentially right away and not saying they can be as good. But um, So I love that deal for Phoenix. And I mean, I, I think they're right there. Honestly, they're not, I don't think they're a finals contender or anything, but um, I mean, I think Booker is, is right there as, you know, like he's certainly an all-star. He's could be like an all-NBA third team guy this year. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just think that the things you got rid of too with, um, with Ubre and with Rubio, I mean, Chris Paul can do all of them. He's just an upgrade. He's a better shot creator than than Ubre. He's a better distributor than than Ricky Rubio. And so, um, and yeah, I mean, they gave up the pick in twenty two, but it was protected one to twelve. So it's not going to be a disastrous asset they're going to be giving up. And so, um, yeah, no, I mean, I love it for um, I love it for Phoenix. I don't know what do you guys think? The, the well, question I have, Otto, and and maybe you can bounce this off better. Is is Chris Paul still a championship level? point guard you know i mean if he wasn't able to get it done in los angeles couldn't get it done in houston now you carried an oklahoma city team that i think a lot of people thought overachieved last year right that was a team that wasn't expected to make the playoffs you put him with devin booker and you got booker who's a great scorer there and now you got someone who can actually get him the basketball an opportunity i just i don't know if that trade really moves the needle that much for phoenix well, I mean, look, I don't think that, like we were going to say, I don't think it's going to get them to the NBA Finals, but I think it definitely puts them back in the playoff conversation. I think, I think you're going to have Lob City 2.0 with DeAndre Ayton, <laughs> uh, which is, which is going to, you know, I mean, it'll make for some exciting hoop down there. And, I know and that's a good to, point. You know, How much does this help him? Oh, I think, I think it helps Chris Paul. I think it helps, some helps, helps Ayton, yeah. Oh, oh well, I mean, with, without, without a doubt. I mean, you know, the guy, guy can, you know, CP3 is <laughs> – Showing he can deliver the ball, uh, you know, well. So, so that now should be exciting. I, I mean, look, Phoenix, as we know, I mean, they 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 didn't lose a game in the bubble. The last game they lost was all the way back in March, and obviously it's because because of, of the you know because of the shutdown. But um, but I, I I like this I like this move a lot. And um, you know, one of the things that that's been said about Phoenix over the years is that their um, their medical staff is 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 top notch. I heard I remember hearing Steve Nash talk about that years ago when I was when I was at the at the magazine. He's been magazine working there. Um, and so, you know, an, an aging guy like, like Chris Paul um, will probably be utilizing those services to a greater degree than, 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 uh, than those other guys. Yeah, if I could speak on Aiden real fast, too. Um, I mean, Aiden, to me, has become one of the, like, weirdly most overlooked guys in the league. I feel like six months mm-hmm. after he picked number one overall, no one was talking about him because he's not Luca, and the Suns obviously should have taken Luca. But, like, Aiden is really good, and especially defensively. He got a lot better last year. I mean, there was this great piece ESPN did with Schmitz where he was breaking down a lot of his defensive stuff. Um, Aiden is really good. And so, I mean, like, the question of is Chris Paul like a championship-level point guard, I'm not really sure that's the right question to be asking because he's not the best player on that team anymore. And so, I mean, like, I think I basically spent the first four years of Devin Booker's career every year saying I think he's overrated. I had to finally stop with that last year after what he did in the bubble. I was, I had gladly put that take to bed. I was wrong all four years. Um, Booker's terrific. And so, I mean, like, you know, this is more of a, um, this is more of Chris Paul in Houston rather than Chris Paul in, in Los Angeles. Um, he's, you know, he's not going to be the, the primary scorer. And I think he can, as Rubio did too, you saw how much Aiton's game like blossomed with Rubio getting him the ball in good spots. 
Um, I think Chris Paul can, can do that every bit as well, probably better than Rubio could. So, um, yeah, and I just think that team also, I mean, just there's just shooting in length everywhere. So, I mean, like, Chris Paul can find it. They can play in transition. They can get out and run. Um, yeah, I just – I think that's a really fun team. Um, and, again, in the West, I mean, I don't know if they're, like, a top three seed, but they're certainly a playoff team, I think. So, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I can't wait to watch it. I'm sure Devin Booker was sitting there when he saw the news coming down and when he was talking to the front office saying, okay, okay, I got a guy now. I, I got a guy. I, I have a running make. I have someone who can get me the basketball. From one point guard to the next, you know, uh, the Lakers, obviously, going to be the defending NBA champions. LeBron entering, what, what is it going to be, his eighth, 18th season in the league, not getting any younger. He doesn't need to be bringing the basketball up as much as he does. They go out, they acquire Dennis Schroeder. Does this make the Lakers a better team? And what does Schroeder do for the Lakers? We start with me? Yeah, yeah oh, let's start with you, Dan. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for what they gave up, I, I think it's a great deal. I mean, um, Danny Green is not as bad as, as Twitter would lead you to believe he is, but he, you know, I mean, the bubble, the whole bubble experience wasn't great for him. And he was, I think, a little overpaid because, I mean, he was signed right after the Kawhi domino fell and the Lakers kind of just grabbed the scraps. Um I mean, I thought Schroeder should have been the sixth man of the year last year. And so to get him for the 28th pick and a slightly overpaid 30-something-year-old Danny Green, I think is terrific. Um, yeah, and I mean, like, Schroeder is a pretty good defender. I think that's sort of lost on some people. And he can shoot, which like he couldn't when he came into the league. He was a 40% three-point shooter last year. So, um, yeah, I think it's a terrific move for them. And, I mean, like, one thing they really, like, sorely lacked, especially in the playoffs, was shot creation. Um, just guys who can take the pressure off when, you know, LeBron or AD was off the floor – the offense was just really still very stagnant and not a lot of penetration and guys like, you know, Caruso and I don't know if KCP will be back, but KCP, like they're good players. They can hit open shots, but they're very limited offensively. And Schroeder is not. Schroeder can get his own shot. He averaged 18 a game last year on a really good split. So um, yeah, I, mean, I, I think it's a terrific deal for them. And I mean, the 28th pick, it would be nice to have a little bit of like young, young life injected there, but that's obviously not the priority. Also, I mean, just a quick sidebar. I read a stat somewhere that I think it's only been once in LeBron's career he played with a first-round pick as a rookie. I don't know if that's exactly right, but it's those guys are just – they're gone, man. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't think uh, LeBron's priority is development. So, um, yeah, no. it's good. <laughs> Definitely not. Well, uh, so, uh, as, as Aaron mentioned, the Lakers, obviously the defending champs. You know, what other moves do you think that they you know, need to make? Because this is – this will be a, a challenge unlike any other because not only, yes, you obviously want to defend, but you're doing so on such a condensed timetable that yeah. you're trying to limit minutes. Um, but you also, you know, the West is really, really good. So you're still trying to get there and get it, you know, which you, know, you expect to get there, but you also want to make sure you have your own court. So what, what, what moves, other moves do you think the Lakers might make? Absolutely. I mean, like the Lakers, they have the, um, I think they have the $5 million mid-level, um, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, um, and so they're going to be looking for, you know, like the, the vets who are taking the discount to get the ring. I mean, the name I've heard, like the dream for them is Serge Ibaka. He could certainly get more than $5 million somewhere, but um, that he would be great for them if they could get it. I mean, a, he's not a great rim protector at this stage of his career, but he can still kind of do it and he can really shoot. And he's just a great playoff guy. He always seems to come through in, in, in playoff games. So um, I think Ibaka would be great. Otherwise, I mean, like just a couple more wings to fill out the rotation because it's looking like, well, they're certainly going to lose Danny Green if this trade co goes through. And then um, I've heard rumors that um, KCP is not staying either, at least. I mean, he, he declined his player option. Um, and so he's going to be testing out the market. I heard Atlanta is going to go after him. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, replacing those, uh, those wing defenders is, is definitely going to be key for them. Um, specifically, I mean, like guys that they could do that with. Um, I don't I mean, if there's any that come off the top of your head, I mean, like – ones that I can think of, like 
the first one that comes to mind is Josh Jackson, which maybe shouldn't be the one, but um, he's the first guy that came into my mind. Um, I was, I'm a, I'm a retired Josh Jackson uh, apologist. So uh, that's just my you're, you're, you're just hitting all my pain points here, Daniel. You're talking Sorry, about yeah, Serge yeah. Ibaka. And, and, and I just remember from sitting within like the communications department on draft night when the Magic traded for Serge Ibaka. Not only do you acquire a Serge Ibaka on a one-year deal, but you give up Victor Oladipo, his eventual all-star <laughs> return, and, you know, for Evan Fournier. And if you ask any Magic fan to this day, you really traded away Victor Oladipo in order to sign Evan Fournier to an $80 million deal. Well, when you talk about... <laughs> What'd you say? The bonus was in that deal, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You lose Demonis Savonis, and it's just like a double whammy there. And then you talk about Josh Jackson, who is maybe one of the better one-and-done players that Bill Self has had at Kansas. Mm-hmm. And he's just struggled to get any kind of footing in the league, you know, from his days with the Suns and then to that stint in Memphis. Um, yeah. uh, but, but, but the interesting thing is, you know, with the Lakers and losing Danny Green, that's a team that didn't have a lot of shooting to begin with. You know, Schroeder's an okay shooter. I wouldn't say that he's an exceptional shooter by any means. And so now I think if you're in LeBron and you're looking around, you mentioned they have the $5 million mid-level exception. I just don't know if that's even going to be enough to go out there and get you a shooter. And if you do bring in Ibaka, Ibaka can shoot the three, but you know, Ibaka is an aging star. And I just don't know how much that helps that team. Now, that team is confined on so many different levels based on, you know, what their cap number is and what they have to fill out. So it's, it's a tough spot to be in, but you know, the original question was, does Schroeder make them better? I think he does. He makes them a lot better, especially if Rondo's leaving, then they need that, that point guard production. So I I think it's a good, a good trade for them. Yeah. What what are you guys' thoughts on Milwaukee? Otto, did you have it? Like, you know, that's a team that for the last two years has kind of dominated the Eastern Conference. And we've sat here every year and we said, they're so good. They're just going to run through the playoffs. And then you look at what happened this year against the Heat. That Heat team was obviously, you know, kind of just on a roll. But their cap number really confines them. And they're going to have to offer Giannis that Supermax. But they're kind of in a position where they have to show him that they're acting in good faith, don't they? Yeah, they know they absolutely have to show him that that they're showing him the love. I mean, this is the, the Miami chat, chatter was going on during during the playoffs, and it's you know still going on, and that that'd be a, a major concern if you're, if you're in Milwaukee. I mean, you know, you don't you don't get stars in Milwaukee coming through like that every day. I mean, nobody does for that matter. So you really gotta you gotta move heaven and earth to to, to make something happen there, Dan. No, I mean, I, I totally agree. Um, in terms of I mean, like specifically what they do, I mean, I was hearing a lot of Chris Paul rumors um, for them, which obviously isn't going to happen now. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, this is, this is hindsight. Getting rid of Brogdon for me was always really tough. Um, yeah, I think that was a, a terrible mistake. I'm a huge Brogdon guy. I thought um, a healthy Pacers team last year was looking like an Eastern Conference Finals like contender, but beside the point um yeah I don't know I mean they they're certainly I don't think you know just like flanking what they currently have with some you know like nice signings here and there I mean like I've heard Joe Harris mentioned mentioned for them so I mean like that would be a big that would be a big signing that would that would definitely make some things happen but um I don't know I mean like the thing that's weird is you know you're moving heaven and earth to try and keep Giannis but one of the main reasons last year that they came up so short was that Giannis's playmaking just wasn't there and so like especially late in games. So it's, it's weird to, to think one of the biggest flaws of the team was the way they were depending on Giannis to do things he couldn't really do. But how do you improve the team while catering to what Giannis wants? Like, I don't know. That's a, um, yeah, that's a tough, um, that's a tough one to solve. I mean, like Dinwiddie is a guy who can probably 
be had um, maybe for that. You're, 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 you're speaking it into existence. <laughs> and I thought about this, Dan, we were just sitting here. We were just trying to talk about how the nets could acquire James Harden. Right. Yeah. And you gotta get, you gotta get rid of Dinwiddie, right? Because yeah. the salaries need to balance out. Mm-hmm. What would Dinwiddie do for Milwaukee? I mean, you know, it's, um, he's a shot creator. He's, he can shoot. Um, and so, I mean, you know, Milwaukee was weird last year in the sense that they were almost like too deep. They needed to consolidate. I feel like there was no way Kyle Korver and like Marvin Williams should have been playing legitimate minutes in like a game five of the semifinals. I didn't understand that at all. And so like they were, they were like, you know, sticking so strictly to Giannis on that minutes restriction. And, um, or, I mean, it wasn't even like a a certain number that he just wasn't playing enough. I don't feel like. So, um, you know, Dinwiddie just gives you another guy who can score, who can, who can space. Um, And so, I mean, he, you know, he's helpful. I mean, does he transform you from what Milwaukee was to like the championship favorite? I don't know, but you know, that's um, something to look out for, I guess. We're all going to be exhausted by the end of this week, guys. This was fun. It was great to catch, catch up with you, Daniel. It was great to get your insight on this NBA draft and it should be a fun week. And everyone, uh, where can they follow you along, Dan? Follow me along. Well, I'm uh, I'm posting stuff on Pure Hoops, um, constantly writing um, writing things for uh, for the site. So uh, if you want some more insight, check that out. Um, yeah, thank you guys for having me. This was a lot of fun. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Special thanks to Dan Kaufman for taking the time and joining us today. You know, Otto, in that first segment, we spoke a lot about kind of risers and fallers. You know, the top three players and what is perceived to be this NBA draft, and the one everyone keeps coming back to is LaMelo Ball. We've heard about him for the last five years, really, since kind of Lonzo burst onto the scene with UCLA. Once he's drafted on Wednesday night, he's going to join a pretty elite crew. You know, there are very few people who can say they get to play alongside of the NBA with their brothers. And he's going to be one of six sets that is going to suit up in the association this year. So, ask, ask, so, so we'll have a little fun with this. Ask me how many sets of brothers are in the league. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how, how many? And can you name them all? Because I can name well, three. All, I can't name them all. First of all, not one, not two, <laughs> not three, not four, not five, six. Uh, I've, six. I've been waiting all show we to do six. that. <laughs> we got six. So, so we, got, we, got, we, got the, we got the balls. Uh, and, and by the way, I like, it's crazy. Like, every time LeVar went out to like get a sandwich that made that made page one news now like crickets but you go so you got the balls you got the antetokounmpo's uh you got you got uh who am i missing who am i missing oh ho- holidays yeah yeah holidays right um um, um lopez yep come uh, on you got this um, you got this uh it's like right in front of my right, right in front of me do you want a hint yeah all right one is an NBA champion, and the other, LeBron, has only won an NBA champion with Curry's, someone from this Curry's university. Have, oh, my God. You, you, missed the it. You, missed, you missed the one I was talking about, though. The Morai, man. The Morai. The best brothers in the league. They're twins. They do everything together. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <sighs> I'm sorry. <laughs> You're crushing me, man. Oh, we, we we have to end the show on there, don't we? Don't we? That's yeah, we do. That's, we do. That's, that's we do. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've we've presented many challenge, many editing challenges this this week. So so to the man in the chair, Scott Turkin, hats off to you, my brother, and uh, as well as our our producer uh, Bruce Bernstein and our editor Tom Phillips.
Absolutely. And we appreciate you guys sticking this one through with us. It's been a long episode, but we hope that, you know, you're kind of ready for Wednesday night when the NBA draft does kick off. It's one of my favorite nights of the year. It's a lot of fun. Make sure you're checking out our other content here on Pure Hoops Media. Monday, as always, is the Mike Weiss Show. Tuesdays is where you get your college basketball news and nuggets. It's the Full Court Press with Jenny Fisher. Wednesdays, right here with your NBA fodder. Otto and I are always trying to not only educate you, but as well as entertain you with everything happening around the association it's a wild week in the league and so we hope that we kind of got you ready for everything that's about to happen thursdays is buckets boards and blocks with monica mcnutt and king McCorn. and then of course we round out the week with the pure hoops podcast with bj armstrong and eric newman and as always guys if you like what we're doing here at pure hoops media all that we ask is that you like and subscribe and then if you see some social content that you like why don't you share it with your friends and everybody it's that time we're heading into the fall season, winter, cold, flu season. Please stay safe, wear a mask, wash your hands, social distance. Be well. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.